today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Turn with me, if you will, to begin with tonight to the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. God has always dealt with man by the means of grace. And uh, we can see that in the very beginning when Adam and Eve fell in the garden and they saw that they were naked. God came walking in the, in the garden and Adam and Eve was hiding themselves and Adam said, and Adam said, I'm hiding because I, I was afraid, because I was naked. And God killed an animal there in the book of Genesis and took the coats of skins and covered Adam and Eve. And we believe that it was there that God instituted the Old Testament sacrificial system because later on we see Cain and Abel coming and bringing um, an, an offering, a burnt offering, And uh, God was satisfied with Abel's offering. How did Abel learn that? Well, obviously he learned it from Adam and Eve. And it is believed that when God killed those animals and took those coats of skins, it's there that God instituted the Old Testament sacrificial system. Those coats of skins covered Adam and Eve. And that is about all those Old Testament sacrifices could do. They could only cover sin. They could not take away sin. And if you look there in Hebrews 10, move down, if you will, to verse 4. The Apostle Paul said, and uh, before I go any further with that, uh, the book of Hebrews does not have an author. Obviously, someone wrote it, but... Uh, It is unknown as to who the author is. Now, I personally believe that the Apostle Paul wrote it, and someone will say, well, why didn't Paul put his name on the book? Well, it's because he was facing a lot of opposition. A lot of the Jews were against Paul, and if they had looked on the scroll and seen his name on it, they would immediately have rejected it because it came from Paul. Same thing can be said today. I could stand up here tonight and quote you a doctrine, and you would say, ah, that don't sound right. But yet I could say, well, Billy Graham said that, and automatically people would begin to say, well, that's got to be right then because Billy Graham said it, or vice versa. I could quote something scriptural, and it be right, and call the name of a Mormon, and say that they quoted it, and then you'll begin to question as to whether that was true or not. So we sometimes judge what we hear by the person that says it, 
we kind of have, we all have our favorite preacher and our uh, certain ones that we listen to and whatever the case. But I think that's the reason why Paul did not put his name on uh, the book of Hebrews because there was so much opposition. But he said here in Hebrews 10, verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. And I just got through explaining to you how God covered Adam and Eve with that first offering there in the book of Genesis. It couldn't take away their sin. It could only cover their sin. Verse 5, Wherefore, when he, speaking of Christ, cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. Christ himself couldn't just offer up an animal sacrifice and, and save the world. He couldn't do that. But a body hast thou prepared for me. That's the latter part of verse 5. Sometime in eternity past, before this world was even created, in the council of the Godhead, it was determined that God would create this world. He would create man to have dominion over this world. And through foreknowledge, God knew that man would fall. Now, had God just left it there, uh, that would be wrong. Thank God he didn't leave it there. He knew that man was, would fall, and he made a way. For man to be saved. And it was through and by sending the Lord Jesus Christ uh, into this world to redeem mankind. Uh, in the book of First Peter, chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. There you have it. Foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you. Now, the latter half of Hebrews 10 and verse 5, A body hast thou prepared for me. This speaks of a perfect, physical, human body that was prepared for the Lord Jesus Christ. God would become man with the full intentions of being offered up as a sacrifice on the cross to save mankind. That was the purpose Paul said in Romans eight thirty two, He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Um, Hebrews 10, look at verse 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Sin is the problem. It's always been the problem. Ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden. And... Burnt offerings and sacrifices, as we've said, could not take away sin. It could only cover it, and that's the reason that God had no pleasure in that. Verse 7 says, Then said I, Lo, I come. 
as we said, sometime in eternity past, in the councils of the Godhead, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ stepped up to the plate, and he said, I will go and redeem mankind. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. All of the Old Testament pointed to Christ in some way. The law, the sacrifices, the the tabernacle, the feast days, every bit of that, uh, the genealogies that the Jews kept up with, every bit of that was important. All of it pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, when the fullness of time was come, the Scripture says, uh, God sent forth His Son made of a woman made under the law uh, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. That's Galatians chapter 4. The latter half of verse 7 there in Hebrews 10, it says, To do thy will, O God. To do thy will, O God. The first recorded words that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ was when he was 12 years old, in the temple, and Mary and Joseph uh, were trying to find him, been looking for him for about three days or so, finally found him in the temple, and they were worried to death, and they said, Son, why in the world have you dealt with us in such a fashion? And he said, No, you not. I must be about my father's business. Those are the first words we have recorded of Christ in the Scriptures. No, you not. I must be about my father's business. And the last words that Christ spoke was when he was dying on the cross and he said, it is finished. In essence, he was saying, I have finished the will of my Father. I have finished the Father's business. To do thy will, O God. Verse 8, above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not. Neither has pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Again, like we've said, sacrifices, burnt offerings, couldn't take away sin. They could only cover it until Christ came. And every bit of that portrayed Christ in some way who would take away sin once and for all. And when John the Baptist announced the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, verse 9 of Hebrews 10. Then said he, speaking of Christ, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. The reason the Lord Jesus Christ came was to do the will of the Heavenly Father. He taketh away the first. Notice that. There in verse 9, he taketh away the first. The Lord took away the Old Testament, the uh, Old Covenant, the law. He took it away by fulfilling it. Not only did he fulfill the demands of the law, but he fulfilled the demands of the broken law, which was death. And as you know, Christ died on Calvary um, for all of us. To establish, that he may establish the second. Notice that part. That he may establish the second. The new covenant, the new testament, ushered in the fullness of God's grace. 
Now, you've got to understand something here. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant, for some 1,500, years, the Jews were taught that. Everything revolved around the law, the Old Covenant, the keeping of the law. To them, salvation was keeping the letter of the law. And now here comes Paul saying in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, you think about that for just a moment. Every one of us in this room have been taught a certain way all our lives. And to have someone to come up and say that all that's been fulfilled now, there's a new way. You're not going to jump on board that very quickly. Especially when everyone before you for some 1,500 years has been taught that. Your, your whole life and living, your customs, everything is based on the law. And they didn't like Paul when he come along and said, it's not of works, but it's by grace. By grace are you saved through faith. That angered the Jews. What angered them even more was that Paul was not of the original twelve. Their thinking was this. Now you're saying that God has given you the meaning of the new covenant, you're telling us this. You're not even of the original twelve. If this was of God, to be sure he would have given it to the twelve disciples. You're, you're just some guy off over here, and you're, you're just saying all of this stuff. And so they hated Paul. They hated him for what he said. And they accused him of all kind of things. And Paul was constantly having to defend his apostleship. And he would relay time and time again, how the Lord had saved him on the road to Damascus and, and, and called him. And it was the meaning of the new covenant, the meaning of uh, the fullness of God's grace was given to the apostle Paul. And he's giving it uh, this in the book of Hebrews as well. Uh, and we're reading it here in the book of Romans. And like I said, he wouldn't put his name on the book of Hebrews simply for that fact. There was so much opposition. And the Jews were saying, if all we've got to do is believe in Christ, it's not of works, that we can just do whatever we want to do. Some were saying that it's all right to sin. Uh, sin is no big deal. Uh, grace will cover it. Some were saying Paul was teaching the more we sin, then the more we glorify God. And that's not what Paul was teaching. They were accusing him of all kind of things. And this is the slander that Paul is having to deal with. And he mentions that in Romans 3 and verse 8. Now, if you can go ahead now and flip over to uh, Romans chapter 3. We're going to pick it up with verse 5 as Paul begins to address uh, all of these things that are being said about him. Romans 3, verse 5. He said, 
If our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Our unrighteousness never commends the righteousness of God. How can our sin glorify God? Tell me that. How can our sin glorify God? It can't. Sin never glorifies God except when we come to the place that we realize we're wrong and we confess our sins and He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's about the only way our sin glorifies God is when we repent of it and He forgives us of whatever that thing is. But um, that doesn't mean that God approves of sin in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Just because God forgives us. He loves us. He said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He went on to say there in Romans 3 verse 5, Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? The answer is no. He said, I speak as a man. In other words, only a foolish person would think of God as being unrighteous for judging sin. He'd be unrighteous if he didn't judge sin. Verse 6 of Romans 3, God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? Sin has to be judged. There has to be a punishment for wrongdoing. The thing about it is, sin was judged at Calvary's cross for all who believe. But for those who don't believe, Sin will be judged at the great white throne judgment. Verse 7, Romans 3. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory. Paul is using the sin of lying here as an example. And he's saying, if my sin glorifies God... Why am I also judged as a sinner? In other words, if sin glorifies God, then God is wrong for judging sinners. He should be rewarding sinners instead if that was the case, which is stupid when you think about it. Verse 8, And not rather as we be slanderously reported, there you go, as we be slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Now, this was all the rumors and stuff that was going around about Paul, and Paul is having to defend himself uh, because of this stuff. He said, whose damnation is just. Now, these people were Jews. They had accepted Christ as their Savior. But at the same time, you've got to understand, uh, their whole culture, customs, everything, centered around the law. And they were trying to bring in some of the Old Testament laws, the Old Covenant, and trying to sew it in with the New Testament. And Paul addressed this stuff in the book of Galatians, you had some who were saying, well, it's good that you believe in Christ. It's good that you're saved, but uh, you've got to be circumcised uh, to be saved. You've got to keep certain Sabbath days, and the list went on and on and on and on uh, with that. Paul said, if you do these things, then Christ has become of none effect unto you. 
So in other words, you have to abandon that altogether. It is all simply by faith in Christ and what he did. Because Christ fulfilled all of the law. And uh, there's no need in keep going there and trying to do that. But these Jewish Christians were slandering Paul out of anger. They didn't like it none whatsoever. They're just running their mouths about stuff. Whether they knew it or not, they were hurting the work of God. And I wonder today how many Christians are hurting the work of God rather than helping. Flip over, if you will, to the book of James, chapter 3. James, chapter 3, verse 5. James had some things to say about the tongue. We'll look at that for just a few minutes, and then we'll close it up. James 3, verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member. Tongue is small, but it's got a lot of power behind it. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. The idea here is of a forest being consumed by fire. The fire started from a little spark, just a little bit, and the whole thing is engulfed now, and a whole forest is destroyed because of a little spark. That's the power of the tongue. Your tongue can be used in a negative way. Sadly and regrettably, the tongue is used in a negative way. He went on to say, verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body. Look at that. Now, I think it's been proven that stress, worry, fear, these types of things can cause cancer. They can also cause all kinds of, of illnesses. And when a person is constantly speaking in a negative way, because of these things, uh, they can get sick. Let's look at it in the realm of the church. When you've got a couple of members that are talking negative stuff, it can hurt the whole body. When a member acts up, things are said, rumors start going around, people get mad. Things are said at business meetings. People get mad and storm out of the church, and then, and, you know, and and if they just go to the Lord and talk to the Lord about it, but they'll go home and get on the phone or get on Facebook and start talking all kinds of stuff. And, and everybody out there in the world knows more about what's going on in the church than the church members do. It sets on fire the course of nature. 
James said. And it sets on fire of hell. In other words, that tongue is not being yielded to the Holy Spirit. It's actually being yielded to the devil to do the devil's work. And more damage is done in the church today because of people running their mouths about something they know nothing about. And Paul had to deal with it in his day, and it ain't changed. As someone said, we have found the enemy. We've seen the enemy, and it is us. All right, Romans 3, latter half of verse 8, Paul said, Their damnation is just. What is he saying? He's saying this, if they keep on running their mouths and they don't repent of yielding their tongue to Satan, hell is in their future. That's, that's kind of blunt, but that's in essence what he's saying. And the tongue is a hard thing to control. We had to go to the Lord as it pertains to the tongue and say, Lord, you're going to have to help me here to restrained from saying some things now there are times when things need to be said if someone does you wrong you go to that person and you sit down and talk with them try to work it out but to try to bring up something in the middle of a of a church meeting on sunday morning and we're here to worship and someone brings up something just blurts out something and that's not that's not right there's a time for such things to be discussed and talked about, and that's not the proper time to do it. But at any rate, look at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? In other words, he's saying you Jews that are going around running your mouths about stuff, uh, do you think you're better than the Gentiles? No in no wise. But we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin as it is written. Now, no doubt, these Jews that were accusing Paul of this stuff, they were pulling out scriptures and using scripture to back up what they were saying. Well, now Paul is fixing to use some scripture to back up what he's saying. And uh, he says this, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. There we go with that mouth again, that tongue uh, spewing out all kind of things. And he said their mouth is, their, their throat is an open sepulcher. It gives the idea of, of, a, of an open grave with um, a, a body in there that, that's rotten. And I know that's kind of graphic, but uh, that's the idea here. That's the way it appears before God. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. He goes on to say, their feet are swift to shed blood. Uh, when a person talks about somebody else and gossip, God looks at it the same as murder. You're slandering, you're murdering somebody else's reputation. 
Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, there's a lot of things said uh, here in these verses, uh, chapter 9. I mean, uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 14. I just wanted to point out uh, verse 13 and verse 14 there where it's talking about the mouth, the throat, the tongue. All of these are sins of the mouth. And these people that were coming up saying all kind of things about Paul, they thought they were good. They thought they were doing God a service. But Paul just put them all on the same level. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we're going to uh, see that here uh, probably coming up next week. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.